In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today is the Feast of uh, Saint Bartholomew, also known as uh, Nathaniel. We know that he ended up preaching in India and Greater Armenia. His name, Bartholomew, is patronomic, meaning it, it's a reference to his father, son of Ptolemy. And uh, when I think of Bartholomew, or also known as Nathaniel, identified in the Gospel as Nathaniel, I think of the Sistine Chapel uh, and the famous painting of the Last Judgment, originally commissioned by Pope Clement VII. But immediately after he commissioned it, or very shortly after he died, and the conclave elected Pope Paul III, who had it completed, and in fact he, he commissioned it immediately upon his election in 1534, and up until then Michelangelo had been painting for the Medici family in Florence, sculpting, of course, mainly the famous David and so forth. And so Paul III drew him to Rome and said, we have some work for you here in the Sistine Chapel. And Michelangelo ended up painting it for several years. And in this vast array of figures that I'm sure you're familiar with, with Jesus as judge, judge of, of all of humanity, and uh, the figures of the saints, the apostles, the living, the dead, the souls in hell, right there, pretty much uh, in the middle, in a very central place, is, uh, is Bartholomew himself, holding on to his own skin, because he was flayed. And you can see the very face that is on the flayed skin. And Bartholomew is holding the instrument of his martyrdom, which was a common way to represent any martyr. It's a kind of curved knife. There's a name for that, but I don't know what it's called. But it's a, a knife that was used to flay him. And he's holding this drooping skin with a drooping face. And that face is Michelangelo. He put his face on the flayed skin of Bartholomew, and it's the whole the whole painting is like an epic poem, almost like Dante, uh, to to create really a, a great painting because of the grandeur of the moment and to help people to convert at a crucial time in the history of the Church of every moment when a new Pope is elected, and therefore you see, of course, our Lord dominating with our Blessed Mother and the, the saints, the, the tons of angels, but of course many, many souls also in hell. And even if you look carefully, and historians have looked at this, there's one figure in hell 
who, whose name was Baggio de Cesena, who was actually the master of ceremonies of uh, Pope Paul III. And he, when he came, he said he saw himself there in hell. Right? The likeness was absolutely exact. And he went and complained to the Pope and said, look, I've been placed in hell here. And, uh, and the Pope said, no, no, we cannot touch the masterpiece. It must stay. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's, it's really that. It's, it's, it's like Dante. It, it, it is an epic poem. Dante's work <laughs> itself has converted many people. I know one famous art historian, Elizabeth Levin, she says that when she read Dante's Divina Commedia, this is what led her back to God. It's, uh, it was uh, the beginning of a, a long process, I suppose, but it's the beauty of the of uh, the representations, the people in hell, the people in heaven, that made her uh, convert or, or led to her conversion. And I'm sure the same has happened to that painting with Nathaniel there in the middle, or pretty close to the middle. We know that he was from Cana, and we see him in the Gospel at the beginning placed next to Philip. And we, it's a beautiful exchange because Philip comes to get him. Philip comes to tell him that we have found the Messiah. We have found the Messiah. Philip was just exploding with joy, excitement, enthusiasm. Philip found Nathanael, we read here in St. John, and told him, We have found the one about whom Moses wrote in the law and also the prophets, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. But Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good? He, he speaks very clearly. I mean, Nazareth, of course, was a very obscure village. It's, I don't think it's mentioned anywhere in the scriptures, right? And um, perhaps Bartholomew had come for this from Galilee to Jericho, and he had seen other pious Jews also listen to John the Baptist. And he's told, no, no, the Messiah is coming from Nazareth. But he was expecting... Maybe, maybe if he was from Jerusalem, okay, but, uh, but he was from Nazareth. Now there's not mentioned anywhere. It didn't seem to jive. He didn't know. He didn't know, presumably at that time, that Jesus had, in fact, fulfilled the, the prophecies by being born in Bethlehem, which is the, the, the village of his origins or, or of his ancestry. That's why. Can anything good come? That is, can a Messiah really come? from Nazareth, something good is the Messiah. It doesn't go along with expectations, it doesn't go along with prophecies. As we do our prayer this morning, it's an invitation to reflect that the Lord doesn't always go along with our expectations, the days of our life, or the events rather of our life don't always fulfill our expectations. Things don't always turn out as we would like. We may maybe sometimes really want to schedule a day very well, schedule a week or a month. We want to schedule the school year. And things come in there and they shake us up. Right? Uh, everybody has been, has been disturbed and shaken by the, the, the pandemic and uh, 
again, we're questioning whether or not there'll be in-classes, and it's, it's the constant theme of conversation. We don't know. It's things come in to change or do not always fit into our expectations. The apostolate doesn't always work as we would like. People don't always correspond. Don Mariano Fazio has said that the, now the apostolate will not be the same as it has always been, in the, in the sense that it's, it's not always going to be as easy. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take more prayer, more mortification, more effort to, to sort of bring, bring souls to the work and to ask the Lord for vocations, because vocations really only come from God. They don't come from us. And uh, the apostle may not always go as smoothly as imagined or as regularly. It underlines the freedom of God to act in his good time, and he can be found exactly where we do not expect him. And perhaps we can ask for light today to find him in our work in a way that we would not expect him. Find him in a brother, find him in an event, find him in the way we do our norm, uh, in an act of fidelity, in a way that we would not have expected. If we want things always to go to a certain rhythm, a certain expectations, we, we may be limiting our horizons. And uh, we can ask Nathaniel, of course, to intercede, Bartholomew, to show us today where and in what the Lord will be found today. Where will you be found today, Lord? Will you be found in the heat? Will you be found in a broken air conditioner? Will you be found in an annoying or difficult person? Will you be found in my sleepiness? Where will you be found? This is what we have to ask uh, uh, somebody like Nathaniel. He can help us. I may have expectations that are rather grand, rather exorbitant. We can think of those wonderful words in today's Gospel when indeed he did see Nathaniel or Bartholomew. He saw him coming toward him. And in, the, in a mysterious way, he had seen him for years. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Here is a true Israelite. There is no duplicity in him. There's no duplicity. There's no guile, we sometimes say. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And he said to him, Amen, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Those wonderful words of Jesus, full of hope, full of desire for Nathaniel. When 
Jesus said those words when he saw him. He saw him coming towards him. He saw him walking. He saw him in all his, his, his fullness in his entire life. Indeed, he had seen him in some mysterious way for years. The Lord has been watching you and me for years since we were small. Jesus saw Nathaniel when he was a child, when he played, when he was growing up. He knew his parents. He knew his grandparents. Meaning he knew about his fears. He knew about his struggles. He knew his DNA. He knew, Jesus knew what made Nathaniel tick. Why he had those fears. Why he had those doubts. Why he had those struggles. Lord, you know me fully and thoroughly. You, you discern and probe me, as the psalm says. Lord, the psalm 139 says, Lord, you have probed me. You know me. You know when I sit and when I stand. If we could let ourselves be won over by the knowledge that God has of us. You know when I sit, you know when I stand. Standing. Standing, when we stand, we show respect. When we're standing, we're working in some way. We're acting, we're engaged. Naturally, that's why we stand when the gospel is read with reverence, because they contain the words of Jesus. They contain his will for us. And uh, this, the, the, the position of standing, right? Uh, the stand, those who are standing in, in the presence of the risen Christ, is to acknowledge our stature, our, our, our full stature given to us by God. That's standing acting, standing. Sitting is the posture of listening, of meditation, as you're doing right now, I'm doing right now. We sit for the psalms, we sit for the readings, we, we sit for the responsorial psalm. We're listening, we're engaged, but, but you could say open to what the Lord is saying. And what really wonderful words he is a true here is a true Israelite, a true child of Israel, in whom there is no duplicity. He he would I mean he Bartholomew said what he was thinking. He spoke his mind clearly. And yet I don't think that meant that he lacked manners or that he just blurted out whatever was on his on his head, in his head. Simplicity. We ask Bartholomew now as we do our prayer also for that. Simplicity has a special importance in the spirit of the work. We have to be simple souls. And all the spiritual formation we re receive in some way is directed towards helping us to acquire greater simplicity in our life, both in the things we use in the way we think, in the way we speak, the way we learn. Simplicity allows us to forget about ourselves, to forget about what they think about us. It allows us to be more generously concerned about others, less preoccupied about our own, our own things. In the Catechism, the 
the Catechism of the Work says uh, that the spiritual formation given to the faithful of the work tries to avoid them becoming interiorly complicated, devious, and twisted. <laughs> Interior complicated. Maybe externally we don't look complicated, but if we're often thinking, well, what's he going to think? What's he going to say? Can I say that? Can I say this? And he, our father used an expression. He said that our asceticism, I guess our spirituality, has to have has to possess the simplicity of the gospel. You know, what you see is what you get kind of thing. That's why Nathaniel is often given as an example. You know, if, if we were to complicate things, if we were kept keep our heart hidden, if our sincerity were not always complete, if we didn't have a transparency in spiritual direction, those would be all signs of well, we could do that, but it, it, it would require a certain amount of thinking and a process that would ultimately be rather complicated. For us, simplicity means, well, exactly what it is, simplification. There is the concept of naturalness, openness. These are all the consequences of a clean heart, a pure heart. I was reading an old father of the church of the of Basilian of the order of St. Basil from a monastery on Mount Sinai, Hezekius of Sinai, and he was a fairly un, unknown uh, uh, author of the Byzantine period in literature, and we don't know much about him, but uh, he appears there in the famous uh, Jean, Jean Paul Migne. And he, he said that for even as a star's property is the light that emanates from it, so the property of a pious and God-fearing man is simplicity and humility. See, we, we see the same stars that Abraham saw centuries ago and our forefathers saw centuries ago. The light coming is the same. And it emanates, it's because it emanates from those huge balls of energy. And this is what makes them beautiful. This is what makes them attractive. This is what, when we go out to the countryside, we like to go and look, about, look at the stars. And for us, for a God-fearing man, for a man, a person, a man or woman in the work, it's, it's got to be that. The star... It's like, just like the star shines light, we shine simplicity, we shine humility. Not extreme talent, not loquacity, not ability to speak, not smarts, not even, I would even say, not even great intelligence as such. And the Lord often speaks about the virtue of humility and, and, and the virtue of simplicity. Well, they, they, they kind of go together. You know, remember, let the children come to me and it's based on the divine simplicity. So we abandon ourselves today into this divine providence and ask Nathaniel to point out when we're becoming complicated, when we're becoming inwardly a little bit too obtuse, 
Uh, it can happen if we're starting to make our, our chat too long and too complicated, going on different levels, and, and we get out of there exhausted. Uh, we just got to be authentic, say the things as they are, in front of God. We are children. We're not, we're not in an interview trying to make a good impression. Our father, St. Josuria, wanted us to be simple. He wanted us to be simple in our way of thinking and uh, not experts in making a good impression, to have this certain desired effect to increase our standing. Here's what he said in Friends of God. Naturalness and simplicity are two marvelous human virtues which enable men to take in the message of Christ. On the other hand, all that is tangled and complicated, the twisting and the turning about of one's own problems, all this builds up a barrier which often prevents people from hearing our Lord's voice. Remember Christ's reproach to the Pharisees. They had enmeshed themselves in a maze-ridden world which made them pay tithes of mint and dill and cumin while neglecting the most essential duties of the law, of justice, of faith. They were careful to strain everything they drank so as not to let even a mosquito pass. And they ended up swallowing a camel. Of course, we know from the Lord, and indeed, these days, the emphasis in the Gospel readings is always on the, the Pharisees' hypocrisy and their duplicity. They're always trying to give you a good impression. It's the contrary of, of that simplicity that the Lord wants from us. Let's ask this. Our Father has a beautiful passage in, in the end of Furrow, well not the end but the end of one of the chapters of Furrow in which he refers to our, our Blessed Mother. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman adorned with the sun, with the moon under her feet, a crown of twelve stars about her head. He's quoting there from chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. He said, our Father says, from this you and I and everyone may be sure that nothing perfects our personality so much as correspondence with grace. Try to imitate the Virgin Mary and you will be a complete man or woman. A complete man. It's, I never really liked the, exactly that translation, a complete man. So if you look at the Spanish, he says... To be a complete man is to be hombre de una pieza, or hombre o mujer de una pieza. Uh, we can readily understand that that means a man or a woman of one piece, not a dispersed accumulation of cool ideas that stack up. There are, in other words, no contradictions between our actions, our thoughts, and our words. They all meet with one coherence and unity of life. Hombre de una pieza. Or as the translation says, a complete man. Yeah. A consistency between what we think, what we say, 
we pray, how we live, a seamless unity and interconnection. This is certainly what we find here in Nathaniel. We'll ask him to intercede for us so that beautiful virtue of simplicity also uh, be anchored in our life as well. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.